What's going on, folks? Greetings. Happy holidays. Uh, welcome to the Sports Times podcast. This is episode number 161. Here, as usual, with Mr. Dominic Stern and Sammy Benbo, just uh, shooting the shit about the Padres, basically. Uh, <laughs> last time we uh, we podcasted with Dan Zimborski, uh, Zip's creator, uh, the Padres signed Xander Bogarts. That, what, just a couple minutes hours after after we did yeah, the podcast dominic it was hours because i remember closing the podcast with saying like hopefully nothing comes out over the next 12 hours surely enough it it did you know only like the biggest padres news of the off season so that's yeah, just how it rolls sometimes but uh i mean I, I thought it was a good addition uh adding a big time bat in the padres lineup i don't think and i said it during that podcast i don't think he should be the one playing shortstop but if that was how the Padres could get him to join the team, no matter what the price tag was, then so be it. But my roommate is a Boston sports fan and the Celtics were playing the Suns that night. And Xander Bogarts was at the Suns game uh, watching the Celtics. And like there were Boston sports fans over there and they were talking to Xander Bogarts. And uh, my buddy said that someone went up and was like, Xander, you got to stay in Boston. And Xander just, shakes his head saying no. And so my roommate had a pretty good idea that he wasn't going to be returning to the Red Sox, but I don't think even he would have predicted that Sandra Bogarts would have gone to the San Diego Padres that night. But uh, he said that minutes before John Heyman tweeted out that uh, he was going to the San Diego Padres, Sandra Bogarts uh, rallied up his friends and left. So he he knew he was signing with the Padres and wanted to get out of the public site. So $280 million, it's a lot of money, a lot of years, but uh, a good consistent bat for the Padres. Yeah. 11 years, 280 million. Give me your thoughts, Sammy, immediately when you, when you heard the news. Yeah. It gives them a strong top four. Now I think that this is, like arguably one of the best lineups in baseball, you could put it up against something like the Astros. I think they have a little bit more depth right now, but adding another good hitter is always a good thing. And even though I said that personally, I'd rather give the money to Carlos Correa, if I was going to sign a long-term shortstop, I think for the price, it's pretty reasonable, right? Like he's getting 25 million for the next 11 years. So essentially you're paying for what he's going to do, hopefully in the next five or six years. And then you're going to kind of wear it on the latter half of that contract. But if he can bring him a, if he can bring him a world series in the next, you know, in this window of time that they're, they have open in the next maybe three to five years, I think you have to look at it as a success. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to be there for be at shortstop for all 11 years uh no. he's said he has Three a willingness yeah seriously <laughs> i mean he said he has a willingness to move to second and third base but i think the the team has kind of talked about they want to keep him at shortstop for now just to keep him comfortable like shortstop's really the only position he's known since he came into the major leagues and so i, I think in the short term it's a good move even though he's probably the third best defensive shortstop on the team was behind Hassan Kim and Fernando Tatis Jr. But I, I think overall, it's he might be the fourth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could argue Jake Cronenworth's better defensively, but he like to his credit, he did improve defensively last year, which kind of yeah. offset the loss okay, in well, offensive value. He had about his defense last year. Uh, I've been looking into it. He's been, he last year was playing in the grass last year, uh, improving his range. Obviously you're not going to be able to do that this year with the, the limitations, the shifting the limitations and having to stay on the infield. Is that going to affect his range? You know, you have arguably the, best shortstop in major league baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr. on the roster. So 
I, I worry about dynamics. Uh, I, I don't know. How's this going to play out? I, I understand he's, he said that he'll be flexible, but when it comes down to it, will he be flexible? Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it was a fantastic signing. This is a great hitter, 800 OPS guy, a guy who's going to just put the ball in place, spray it around all around the field. I worry about the long term of this contract, but in 10, 9, 10, 11 years, $25 million player will probably be watered down a lot as far as value-wise. Yeah. I mean, maybe players making $50, $60 million at, at that time. So I I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. The, the Padres did overpay. Well, that is obvious. They overpaid to, to bring him in to San Diego and lure him away from Boston or whoever else had interest. They overpaid. But this is the kind of player who you can kind of overpay for that that should have the track record and should continue to be a productive hitter. And and I think that's what they needed. Yeah. And I think the good thing with Xander too, is like, you know, I think we kind of talked about it. We were thinking, you know, maybe seven or eight years, 200 ish million is probably the right price. I mean, looking at the Red Sox offer of six years for 160 million, that was a low ball for sure. But I think the one thing that I like personally about Xander's contract and how he will age versus maybe someone like Aaron judge is that he's never been a huge power guy. You know, he, he never really hits for 30 plus home runs. He's always kind of in that 15 to 25 range every year, but he hits for a high average, right? He's, I want to say he's a career like 290 or so hitter. He's consistently in the silver slugger conversation. I mean, he's got five of them. Um, and so I think that his contract could age a little bit more gracefully in that he could still give you 270, 280, hit fourth in the lineup, drive in 70 to 100 runs a year, uh, and still give you good value even when he's in the back half of that deal. But I, I do agree it is a bit of an overpay. Well, he's not a power hitter, but he has some pop. And he played at Fenway Park, which is not a favorable power park if you're not a power hitter, like Rafael Devers, power hitter, J.D. Martinez, power hitter. So they could hit home runs there. Xander Bogarts didn't necessarily do that, of course, with the green monster for the right-hand hitters down the line in left field. I think left field is going to open up a little bit for him for some more home runs, but he doesn't have that center field power, that right field power that he could take advantage of at Fenway Park. So I think his power numbers might get a little bit better. That's at least what I read from Mike Petriello and Eno Saras, who are admittedly much smarter baseball minds than myself. So I, I think that you could also see his power increase, and I 100% uh, agree with what you're saying, Sammy. And it's some nice contrast because Machado is more of a power hitter than Bogarts. Juan Soto, I don't know what type of hitter you'd consider him, but has a lot of pop for an Tatis Jr. I would consider a power hitter. Xander Bogarts kind of compliments those guys. And if you put them or if you put Bogarts behind them, he can hit them in for more runs when they get, say, some doubles uh, with some singles or Bogarts is more than likely to get on for those guys to get you in with those extra base hits. So I think there's a lot of possibilities for Bob Melvin to make with the lineup. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, where do you guys think is the best fit for him? Because me personally, I think he fits in really well behind those top three guys, behind Tatis, Soto, and Machado. I think, you know, with, with his hit tool, his ability to put the ball in play, I think you can get a lot of free RBIs with him hitting behind guys like, especially Juan Soto, who's going to get on base close to half of his plate appearances. Um, I, you know, it, it does give them a lot of length, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think too. Cause I know he hit a little, he hit a little bit all over in Boston. I know he hit second and third, but they had a little bit of a, you know, their lineup wasn't as deep, but I, I think he fits in really well hitting fourth. 
Yeah, I mean, in the modern era of the game, he probably will hit cleanup. I mean, you look at his bat, and he's he's a number two hitter, but the problem is the Padres already have Soto locked into that number two spot as he gets on base so much. Tatis could hit number two. I mean, you're right. Bogarts is going to get plenty of opportunities driving runs with those three ahead of him. They should be on base uh, ample amount of times in front of him. We'll have to wait and see, but I, I think that the cleanup spot is probably where he's going to land uh, immediately, and he should benefit from that. I mean... Is the type of player that puts the ball in play generally too, so that's also uh, effective for the Padres who who've lacked in that department traditionally over the past few years. So um, I would say cleanup. I don't know, Dominic. What, what are your thoughts? I think that the top three is pretty much solidified once Tatis returns. Um, that might be changed though. In the beginning of the year, when Tatis out, he might hit towards the top of the order. Uh, it, it depends on who else they add on this team, for that matter, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really too concerned about what the lineup looks like with Tatis yeah. out because that's only. 20 games so mm-hmm. why why really like worry about that i mean obviously like that will be of concern but only for 20 games i i, I would personally say bat him first or second and then you can have the power bats behind him just because he's going to get on base for those guys yeah. uh but you could also on the flip side of it say you have him behind them because you're more likely to pitch around the the top guys but you, you want to be able to find a way to get soto and Machado and Tatis like pitches that they can drive. That's the big goal. And I'm not quite sure whether or not batting Bogarts one, one or four. I think that's where he's going to fit in either at one or four. I don't think yep. two or three. I think those are Machado and Soto spots. Yeah. Bob Melvin will definitely be versatile with his line of construction. It'll be definitely different looks to this, to this team for sure. Um, let's move on to a signing that happened this, uh, this morning uh, as the Padres signed Matt Carpenter uh, gave him a $3 million signing bonus. Uh, was it 3.5 uh, for the 2023 season and a player option for 5.5 million for the 2024 season. There's also some uh, bonuses in there that could, uh, add up to an extra $3 million in performances if he reaches at bats. Oh, give me your guys' thoughts before I rant a little bit about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of you know that I'm not entirely pleased with this. It's, it's starting to feel a little better for me. Um, I mean, the initial tweets were uh, Ken Rosenthal said guaranteed twenty one million or something, and I was that 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 was scary at first when when I saw those tweets. Um, what does Matt Carpenter bring this to this team, and, and does he have enough left in the tank? I mean, it, it, with did what we saw in New York is that really Matt Carpenter, or is it the guy that we saw tail off in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean. He, for what it's worth, he had a 217 OPS plus in uh, 2022 with the Yankees, which is ridiculous considering the 2020 and 2021 he had with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he hits seventh and DHs against right-handed pitchers. I think it it could be you know beneficial. Um, it'll give Hassan Kim a little bit more of a chance to take a couple days off. I know last year he was like said to have been really feeling the grind of playing every single day in a major league season. I don't know. I am not very high on him. I think that what he did in New York was more of a fluke than a real thing. If yeah. you look at his stats, he really kind of fell off a cliff after July. Like he had like those like couple months in towards the beginning of the season where he was just padding all of his numbers and hitting like 350 or 360. And then he really like fell off and didn't really do much until he got hurt and missed the rest of the season. I don't know. 
I I guess it it gives them a little more length. You're not going to ask them to hit middle of the order or anything. You're just asking them to hit low in the order and hit a few balls over the fence, but I'm not expecting too much. I think he might start as the DH to begin the season and have occasional starts in the corner. He could be hitting fifth behind Bogarts. I mean, that could happen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's possible. I, I mean, personally, I'd put Jake Cronenworth there, and I'd I'd okay, put him a little bit lower. But it, it, he could definitely hit sixth, fifth, or sixth. I don't know. I'm not I'm not going to expect too much from him though. Yeah, I mean, his his salary for this year is three point five million dollars for a reason. It's because you shouldn't expect that much from him. If he is anywhere near that player that we saw very briefly for the Yankees, I will be completely shocked. However, I think that with his swing changes that he made in between the 2021 and the 2022 seasons, he can be significantly better than what he was with the Cardinals at the end of his career. I don't think, (laughs) yeah, I I just don't know, but he's going to be the DH. He shouldn't sniff third with Machado on this team. It gives you a player who can play third. If you want to give Machado a day off, uh, I mean, Tatis can probably play third. We know Kim can play third. I'm sure Xander could play third, but if he's going to be playing short, why would you do that? He can also play first. The Potters don't really have a set in stone first baseman, although it seems like they're going to be rolling with Jake Cronenworth there for at least some bit. But I, I agree with what Sammy said. I think this is a move that's going to spell Kim against right-handed pitchers, especially good right-handed pitchers. And Carpenter is going to play a lot more than that. He's a very experienced uh, player. Talk about uh, two guys in the 2013 World Series, Matt Carpenter from the Cardinals and Xander Bogarts from the Red Sox. Uh, Funny that they're now on this Padres team, but uh, I think it's a fine signing. They didn't pay him that much. You know, if he stays healthy and he produces, he's going to get probably more than, or the Padres are going to be getting more value than what they're paying. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. Essentially, he's making 6.5 this year. I know 3.5 is only on the books. The other three is a, a bonus, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't count for the books. But, I mean, J.D. Martinez got $10 million from the Dodgers in one year. I mean, and you give Carpenter the player option. So what, if, what happens if Carpenter just completely regresses, can't hit? You give him the player option for 2024, which seems bizarre to me. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is a small signing. This is hopefully one of several players who they can rotate in and out and and use and and utilize and stuff. But I just don't see Matt Carpenter even approaching anywhere near the numbers he he did and he recorded in, in, in New York. I mean, this is a guy who never hit 300. This is a guy who, I I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. He's, he's going to be 37, 38, there's injury concerns. He missed the last two months of the season. Couldn't play in the playoffs or wasn't effective in the playoffs for the Yankees. We'll have to wait and see. I, I mean, it's it's a signing. It's another signing. Uh, hopefully there's more. I, I'm just worried about what this signifies for this team moving forward. If if Matt Carpenter is is the starting DH and, and this is the lineup come April, I have concerns about the bottom four of this the, the of this lineup. I really do, and and they should be natural. Grissom, Nola, Kim, and Carpenter just don't do it for me. But 
Yeah, you know, and I think it, that's it kind of what it exposed them in the playoffs a little bit, especially against the Phillies. We saw the first two rounds against the Mets and the Dodgers, the bottom of the lineup really picked up the slack and kind of carried for, for a point there. But in that series against the Phillies, they kind of just yeah. ran out of gas. It, it felt like Nolan and Grissom were up every time, every at bat, it felt like. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and so it's like, like I'd say a, to be a world series winning team, you need to improve that seven, eight, nine. And I don't know how they're going to get there. And I th- it sounds like, um, you know, we, we can't rule anything out, but it sounds like yeah. they're moving towards the end of their free agent spending. I don't think they're, you know, you can't really sign a big bat or anything at this point. I don't know. Well, so Brendan Drury still, still out there. I mean, he- what is he going to make per year? What is he looking for per year? You just gave 6.5 essentially to, to Carpenter. Rory probably drew would have probably signed for maybe nine, 10 a year for two years. I mean, when it's all said and done, their number, the, the, the financials of these two potential players will probably be similar. I mean, Drew probably is looking for that third year, probably make a little bit more, but I feel a lot more safer with Brandon Drury in my team than I do Matt Carpenter. And that's just, that's just me. And, and once again, I'm going to say there, there's probably going to be more additions. I'm, I'm just probably panicking a little bit and, and thinking, okay, this is the, this is the big addition to the offense that we need at the bottom of the lineup. But I, I don't know. I'm just venting a little. Just bear with me, folks, a little bit. Dominic, uh, you haven't spoke much about about the situation. Give me give me your thoughts. No, I mean, I think your concerns with the sighting are valid, but uh, sorry, I got something playing for my computer on baseball reference. Uh, I, I think that when you look at it, they didn't pay that much. The second year option could definitely come back to hurt them if Matt Carpenter just can't stay healthy, which, I mean, to be quite frank, uh, over the last year or so he hasn't shown to do so but at the same time he has a far better track record than brandon jury does jury had one breakout year i mean people forget brandon jury had signed a minor league deal before last season he was playing on the league minimum and he was fantastic and he's gonna rightfully get paid for the year that he had he had 30 home runs but i just don't think that when you say uh, why did the padres get matt carpenter when they could have brandon jury i just don't think that is what exactly the Padres need, need to be doing, saying, all right, which guy should we rather sign? I mean, just take a chance on one of them. And they're taking a chance on the guy that has the far better track record, had the better year last year, even though Carpenter, it was fluky for sure. See, and This is like the Justin Turner argument, which I had with a fan on, on Twitter. You know, great track record, awesome OPS guy, performs well, hits blah, blah, blah. But at what point does a 37-year-old just completely fall off the cliff? Because that does happen. 37-year-olds don't just gradually, OPS just declines 10 points, 10 points at 38, 10 points at 39, 10 points. No, they just fall off the cliff completely, and they're done. So it's a risk. I I don't don't know. I mean, yeah, you're right. Brandon Drury was a year or two away from being out of the game. I mean, if breaks didn't happen correctly, he could be selling insurance right now. That's just the reality of the game of how brutal it is and how quickly a top prospect can be nothing. I I, I don't know. And again, we aren't the ones talking to these players. We aren't the ones talking, seeing them eye to eye, knowing what's in their heart, knowing what they feel, what they want, what motivation, what kind of workouts they're doing in the offseason. AJ Preller and his staff are the ones who get to see this. So we can just talk all we want, but they're the ones who are getting paid to make these determinations. And and I do trust them. So I'm I'm just venting. I, I, I do trust their 
their evaluations of these players. I just natural to play devil's advocate. And I'm just, I always seem to do that. No, I I think your concerns are valid, but Carpenter did have that fall off and he made an adjustment and he realized, Hey, if I, if I go out there and I suck this year, I'm done. And he found the new swing. Is that swing going to carry over? That's the question. He's not going to put up the same numbers that he did. I mean, if he does like hallelujah, I mean, the Padres are going to win the world series if he does, but it's not going to happen. It's whether or not he can put up, you know, similar numbers to what he did back when he was in St. Louis disciplined yeah, hitter so. has some pop to the pull side. Yeah. That, that that's what it is. Okay. That's another, another point I want to make was about these, these, a Deadpool hitter shift is banned this year. That should, that should affect him positively. I mean, players, they're not going to be able to shift completely. We're not going to see a third baseman in the, in the second base hole uh, against him. That, that should affect him positively. Right. I mean, this is a Deadpool hitter. Like I mentioned, yeah, I mean, I think it'll give him a little bit of a bump. I'm just cautious not to put too much weight into taking away the shift, right? I don't think his batting average will jump 50 points because of it. I think he might have a couple more hits here and there that are, you know, because of no shift. But I don't know. I, I'm not willing to put too much weight into that just because I don't think it's going to be as significant as a lot of people think. I think it might be the difference in like five to seven hits. Um, but, you know, then you could argue the same thing. It's like, well, what if he hits a ground ball to third base now? Then it's going to be an out instead of a base hit, right? <laughs> Overall, I mean, I don't think it's terrible. If he sucks, you just buy him out, right? You, that is the one thing, though, that I, I don't really love about AJ Preller's negotiating tactics with free agents. It seems like almost every free agent that signs has some sort of player option. Uh, I, I know it's becoming more and more common, but like you saw it with Carpenter. You saw it with, uh, I believe, Seth Lugo, who we'll talk about here in a minute. You saw it with Nick Martinez. You see it with Robert Suarez. All the guys. Manny. That, yeah, Manny. Exactly. I mean, Bogarts has, you know, he doesn't have any, but it, I'd be curious to like be in that room when he's negotiating and see like how much of a driving force that is for the player versus how reluctant it is for Preller to give it out because it seems like he's just giving him out left and right. And he doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter to him. That's an interesting negotiation tactic. I, I don't know. I, it it's, does seem to be that. That seems to be the norm now uh, of players opting out of contracts. And uh, I, I don't know. That's just the, the modern era of the game that we live in. Let's talk about Seth Lugo. Padres signed him to a two-year, $15 million deal. Uh, interesting pitcher. Someone who's never really started, but has always shown the ability to mix pitches, has a variety of pitches. Uh, The plan seems to be that they're going to use him in the rotation. Um, Give me your thoughts on that. Is he going to be able to hang on that? Is this a effective use of $15 million for the Padres? Well, I'll start uh, because I wrote an article on him the night before he signed, which yeah. Awesome. Uh, good timing because we had these full times it slacked on that article a little bit, but uh, James sent another reminder. Once we saw, uh, I think Heyman tweets something about it. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll the do Dodgers this. And him. Yeah. The Dodgers, the Padres are closest. Wouldn't you know it uh, comes around signs. He does have experience starting and it wasn't very good. Let's, yeah. let's clarify. Uh, he's a very good relief pitcher. I mean, I, I think that there's no way around that. He had an okay year, 108 ERA plus this past year. Now ERA is not the end-all be-all statistic there, but he's got a good pitch arsenal. He's got a four-seam fastball. It's got some good life on it. He's got a sinker that he can play off of it. He's got a really good curveball. So I think that when you have a pitcher who wants to start coming out of the bullpen, but he has several pitches that he can use, you know, there's some potential there. And that's the same case with Nick Martinez, fastball cutter, curveball, changeup, 
So I, I think there's a chance for this. And I saw Padres Farm tweet this. So I'll give him some credit. I, I think that the Padres approach here is to have those three traditional starters, Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, and then just a bunch of swingmen who, if they're pitching well, you roll with them. If not, you have another guy that they can follow and go three or four innings. And that worked decently well in the middle of that season, especially towards uh, leading up into the all-star break. And then it started to deteriorate a little bit. Uh, so I think that the Padres are just going to roll with a couple of those guys and Seth Lugo, Martinez, Morajone, possibly even Groom and Weathers are going to be those kind of guys. So uh, I think that that is what the Potters approach is here. I think they got a talented pitcher. I'm not sure I want him to be in the starting rotation, but that's what it seems it's going to be. Yeah, I mean his splits between starting and relieving are like pretty apparent. Like his his ERA as a starter is over a run higher than his ERA as a reliever. And even though he's probably not going to make 30 starts this year, I'd be pretty surprised if he did make all 30 starts. You know, I, I don't know. I I I do like him in the rotation to start with, but I I could see it backfiring a little bit towards the second half of the season. I think it would be interesting to have him piggyback with Adrian Morahone as well. Although that's a whole another can of worms to open. Morahone hasn't really thrown more than 60, 65 innings ever in a season before. So if you want to try to lengthen him out too, there could be some growing pains there. But I, I do like it in the fact that once you get into September, October, you get down to crunch time, you shorten him, you make him a multi-inning reliever. He's pretty effective, right? Like, like he's a, he's pretty effective as a reliever. Um, so he's, I think he's only made like 40 career starts and he hasn't started full time in over five years. I, I wrote about the signing once it happened. Um, and so I'm a little cautious on that just because I don't know, you know, what their plan would be if, you know, say he has a really bad April and May and he's, you know, becomes unstartable or, you know, you need to move him to the bullpen. Then you don't really have a good fifth option, but at the same time, I, I think he could eat some innings for you. This team's going to have to have somebody eat innings. Um, I like the swing idea. We'll have to see how effective that is when you're, t- when you're talking about three left-handed pitchers who have very, very minimal major league experience, including Morahone. It's a little scary, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I'm sure AJ Pro has definitely some tricks up his sleeves. Uh, I would imagine a trade would bring in a starting pitcher at some point before spring training. But again, you never know with this team. Um, let's talk about another signing the Padres made uh, this week is Pedro Severino, a uh, Dominican catcher uh, with major league experience. He played for the Nationals. He played for the Orioles and the Brewers. Uh, was suspended last season for PEDs. A catcher, he provides depth. Only Camposano and Nola were really major league depth quality catchers. So is is, is Severino a sign that Padres are shopping Camposano or is he more of a triple A third catcher, maybe backup catcher kind of uh, ideas for the Padres? Give me your thoughts on on Severino and, and what he brings to the team. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Like, I, I don't think this is anything more than a depth signing. I'd be surprised if they viewed him as more than a third catcher. I mean, he's hasn't done anything really significant in his entire career. And Camposano's value hasn't, I mean, do we even know what Camposano's value is at this point? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. they, like they've kept him down in the minors for the last, geez, it feels like two or three seasons. Like they haven't really given him a shot. So I don't know. I, I hope that this isn't, you know, them 
shopping Camposano because I'd like to see what Luis Camposano can do as, you know, a, a backup catcher in maybe April and May. And then towards the end of the season, Austin Nola's legs kind of slip out from under him a little and Camposano kind of takes over as the starting job. I, that, that's what I'm thinking. I don't think this is anything more than a depth move. Well, it, it, I, I think the Padres should carry three catchers with Severino being that third one because Severino is a really good hitter against left-handed pitchers. And with him missing, I mean, he only played eight games. So he basically, for all intents and purposes, missed the entire 2022 season. So when you look at that, he's going to need some time to get back under him. And he's a bad defensive catcher by just about every metric. So uh, you do want to point that out there. And, and an average offensive catcher. So, I mean, what are we, what are, well, what are you really getting out of here? He's really good against left-handed pitchers. So, oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's I, right. That's right. You just signed Matt Carpenter, probably be your DH. He's a left-handed hitter. I think that you could maybe platoon those guys. Uh, DH gets Severino a little bit underneath him. What's uh, Nola splits against right-handers, left-handers? Is, is it dramatically different? I thought Nola hit left-handers pretty well too. So uh, that's why I thought this was an odd fit. I don't team. know off the top of my head, but I mean, the Padres and, do have three right-handed catchers. catchers out there in the market like there used to be. Left-handed hitting catchers. That that seems like it would be a nice little bonus to have as a third catcher, a nice left-handed bat off the off the bench that could hit. That could hit. You just don't see many left-handed catchers anymore as, as there used to be. Well, was, um, uh, was Blake Hunt a left-handed hitter? No. Austin Allen was a left-handed hitter. And yeah, he signed yeah. with the Marlins this uh, offseason as a minor league free agent. But the so. Padres made it abundantly clear that they viewed Luis Campusano as the future of catching in the organization when they went out and they traded Mejia, they traded yeah. Torrance, they traded Hedges, they traded Hunt, all in the span of like five or six months. They wiped out all the, not catching depth, but the potential like over the next two years catchers that can move up through their system and make the major leagues. So it, it's all about Campusano. And if they gave up on him now, then I think that would be really disappointing. Yeah. I will have to wait and see. Uh, I'm sure there is still some value for him as teams are just intrigued with the offensive capabilities that he has. He's, he can be a offensive force or he has the ability to be an offensive force. The defensive question marks are still going to be there. They're still there. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see uh, what the Padres do in regards to their catching situation. Um, another minor signing uh, that the Padres made this week was they signed uh, Max Chirac, uh, minor league um, infielder, second baseman, outfielder, contact hitter, probably spend some time in AAA. Just want to throw that out there. Nothing really to comment about just a minor league depth, if you will. Um, at some point, this team is going to have to strengthen their bench though. When, when you look at the bench currently on this team and, and what it is right now, the bench consists of Camposano, Zokar, uh, and what else? I mean, well, there's not much else that would be, I mean, I seen Colway in some, in some, uh, in some evaluations of what the major league Dixon. Uh, bench will look like uh, David, David Dahl's Dahl. out there. Yeah. Uh, e Rosario. I mean, they're going to need some veteran type players to fill in on the bench and, and assume some roles you would think. Um, I, I don't know. You guys thought about uh, thoughts about the left field job and what they're going to do in that direction. Uh, I, I know Tatis will probably 
be a corner outfielder uh, once he returns, but there still is a need for an outfielder uh, in the corner for this team. Um, Any thoughts on any of the free agents that are out there that uh, intrigue you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think of those guys that you mentioned, we're going to see probably at least a couple of them on the major league roster to start the season. I don't want to say a Zocar is a lock to make the roster to go out to, you know, start the season, but I'd say he's a pretty sure bet to yeah. get some playing time, especially when Tatis is out. It's interesting too. Cause I mean, Matt Carpenter did play the corner outfield spots for the Yankees this past season. So I could see them rolling with an outfield that, you know, has Tatis Grisham, Soto Carpenter, Azokar, you know, you don't really need more than that, I guess. Like you'd like to have a little bit more depth than that, but you don't really need more than that. Um, I think it's also interesting to note. I just saw Pedro Severino did play a little bit of first base last year with Milwaukee. I don't know if that had went into anything that they were looking at when they signed him, but he could be another option over there against left-handed pitching. Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. No, no, nobody really like appeals to me. Obviously I'd love to bring back like a Brandon Drury or a Jerickson Profar to play that super utility role, but I just don't think the Padres can offer them the amount of playing time that they're looking to get. You know, I, I, I think Drury could get and Profar could probably get deals where they're playing every day, you know, starting batting somewhat middle of the order for a middling team. It, it kind of depends on what they want, but I don't see them making another like, big ish signing this off season. I, I just don't think it's in the cards. I know they're coming up on the third luxury tax threshold, which it seems like they don't really want to pass. I've seen multiple things out there that said that they prefer to stay under that third threshold and they're kind of How far away it. are they? How many millions are they away from them? I don't know for sure. I know that with the carpenter signing, they're like with the luxury tax threshold, they're up to like 267 million. I was a number that I saw thrown out there. So, and I, I want to say it was Dennis Lynn who mentioned that they don't really want to go much higher than where they are right now. But at the same time, you can't rule anything out, right? Like yeah. if they make an impact trade or something, they can't rule anything out. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying I'm comfortable with, with the bench that they have right now, like maybe sign one or two more low profile guys, but I, I just don't see them making anything splashy before the season starts. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that those numbers are exactly firm because the potters haven't paid their ARP guys yet. So those numbers are just estimates too. So you got to take that into account. AJ Preller hasn't gone into arbitration hearings with, any one of those players since became Potter's GM, which is perfect. You know, don't get on your player's bad side and try and lowball them. So I, I think that they need to just make a couple of like small signings. I think David Dahl has a ton of upside uh, so long as he just stays healthy, which of course is the main concern with David Dahl. So uh, all-star in 2019, which isn't too long ago, especially considering that he's not like, old per se he's not matt carpenter so i i think for left field you're gonna roll doll or as Ocar out there to begin the season and then once tatis gets in there you're probably gonna try and play him at corner outfield and that'll be that you have a couple of guys who could potentially serve as fourth outfielders in doll and as Ocar. they're not gonna play every day but if they show the upside that they've flashed then those are solid bench bats and uh bench pieces that can play some defensive outfield. 
And I yep. do still think like as currently constructed right now, like if this was the opening day roster that they were rolling in with, you know, obviously adding Tatis, I still think this team wins somewhere from between 90 to hundred games. If they, you know, if things go the right way, obviously there's a lot of injury concerns. Can you count on the starting pitching? Can you count on the lineup to stay healthy? But if they stay healthy for the most part, I still think this team is a good team and wins close to hundred games and has a chance to win the NLS. The Dodgers haven't really done a whole lot. Like there's not really that one team in the division that scares me anymore. Right. Like the Dodgers were that team last year, obviously they won 111 games, but I, I still think right now, even without another major signing that this team can win the NLS. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. The, the, this is probably the best Padre baseball team that we've ever seen in the history of this franchise. And that, that's, that's pretty easy to make that a uh, statement. Uh, the top five hitters are arguably one of the top fives in, in all of baseball. And that's going to be fun to see the top three pitches are, are, are producing. You have hater in the bullpen. This team is built to win and it's, it's exciting. Um, as far as additions to this team, my gut tells me that there's trades coming. There's, one, maybe two trades coming. That, that's what my gut tells me. Um, I also believe that this team is going to dumpster dive in, in January and early February and pick up some veteran players at minor league minimum or major league minimum, if you will, or, or, or hand some uh, signing bonuses out because there's still some players out there that, that are intriguing. There's, uh, you know, AJ Pros had linked to Dominic Smith before. That's not necessarily someone I, I too high on, but if the price becomes reasonable enough, why not bring them in and, and take a look at them? I mean, there's Brandon Belt still out there from the Giants. You need first base help, left-handed hitter, professional hitter. Injuries are always a thing with him, but if cost comes down to it and he's affordable, why not bring in multiple veteran-type players, let them compete in, in spring, and the best one, keep the, the others, send them on their way. And I think that that's probably uh, one of the avenues in which this team might might go down. They have, the way AJ Proler structures this stuff, he has three, four, five different ways that he can go, and I think that could possibly be one of the ways. If they're not able to to move some salary. Uh, Pomerantz is, is making what, 10, $11 million this year. Yeah. Could they package him with a prospect or a, a, a player and, and get rid of him? And that would be magical, but I, I don't know. I, they, they need to move a little bit of salary here to, to just get a little bit more flexibility. Uh, I know some people see, um, the possibilities of them handing out 320, $340 million to, to judge and to, and to Turner and then say, well, you only spent 280 for Bogart. So you should still have $60 million left to spend. Well, that's not how it works. It's, it's about each year and how much they have to budget. Bogart's salary was extended all the way till 2034 or whatever. And, and you can't necessarily spend the 60 million more that you're going to spend for, for judge or Turner. Now it, it's just, that's just not how it works. So there's a lot of moving parts for the, for, for creating this team. Um, the skeleton, the, the, the framework is there for an excellent Padre team. And I'm excited. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what he does. I, I like I say, I do expect to see some, some sort of trade. Uh, I don't know something. I, I just really, I just, that's just my gut feeling. Um, well, James, you, uh, you wrote an article, uh, detailing Marlins pitching staff, and yep. uh, potential trade avenue being there. Why don't you describe to our readers kind of what that detailed? 
Well, the four pitchers that the Marlins have currently right now um, in the starting staff are all effective. I mean, we're talking about Pablo Lopez. Uh, we're talking about Rogers. We're talking about Luzardo and uh, Cabrera. Um, all four have upside. They're all young. They're all controllable. Uh Lopez is, is under control for two years. Uh, the other three are under control for the next four years. That's something that's appealing to the Padres in my, in my estimation, they want a pitcher that they can control uh, inexpensively for the next three, four years, someone that has some upside. Um, when you, when you look at it from the Marlins perspective, why would they deal these young pitchers? Well, their top prospect is, is major league ready. Uh, they have two or three other prospects who are knocking on the door. Uh, they have a couple other players that could step into their rotation. Uh, the Marlins need hitting right now. That's, that seems to be the big, biggest need for them. I'm not quite sure if the Padres can fit the need for them. Uh, Hassam Kim makes some sense at shortstop for them as they have Rojas at short, or they've had Rojas at short for a while. It was kind of just a veteran eh, player. Um, Grisham makes sense as they do need a center fielder, although I don't know necessarily if the Padres want to move Grisham. Um, and Luis Camposano also makes sense as the Marlins do need catching help. So there's a need. It's whether or not Padres necessarily like any of those four pitchers enough to move these players and whether or not the Marlins can, can throw in a, a Cooper or somebody else to kind of sweeten the deal. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the Minnesota twins make sense as well. We've already heard the rumors uh, from the winter meetings with the twins uh, with uh, Arias and um, uh, Sonny Gray makes sense for them. Kepler makes sense for the Padres. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, there's avenues, but the trade department has been really, really slow all around Major League Baseball for some reason this winter. I think a lot of teams are are restructuring their teams through free agency and, and other avenues rather than kind of making that big trade. The the um, catcher trade, Sean Murphy, was probably the arguably the biggest trade this this offseason so far. So um, we'll have to wait and see. AJ Preller is obviously someone who's in the middle of all trade discussions. Uh, I just I I don't know. We'll have to wait. Your guys' thoughts on any of those Marlin pitchers? Any of them stand out for you? Uh, Luzardo is probably the one who stands out for me. Uh, although all four of those pitchers are, are kind of iffy as far as eating innings for the 2023 season. Um, Lopez is probably the best, safest bet. But uh, give me your thoughts on, on any of those four pitchers. Yeah, I think it's something that while it could happen this offseason, I think you could also see it happen at the trade deadline. Right. Like I could yeah. see them totally content with rolling into the 2023 season with the rotation as it is right now. And I think some people forget too that I want to say a big reason why Nick Martinez resigned and why Seth Lugo signed is because the Padres are promising them starters innings, at least going into the season. You know, they, they were, I think that was, that was a pretty big part of both of their contract negotiations. What the, is that they were saying, yeah, like what we will give you a chance to start. And so, unless they roll with a six man rotation, which is possible. They did it last year. This is kind of the rotation that we're going to have to start the season. Yeah. And so if one of those guys gets hurt or if they get decimated in some other way, I think it's more likely that we see this at the trade deadline. I really like Edward Cabrera. I think he probably has the best stuff out of all of those four attainable pitchers. He's got a really big fastball and he's got a really good changeup. But I mean, again, like you said, he hasn't broken 150 innings or so. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, yeah. they're all really young. They're all really raw. Yes. They're really talented. And so like, you know, AJ Preller, he loves those big tools, right? He loves the pitchers that 
can throw hard or that have really good off speed. I don't know. I, I, I think I'd be content right now rolling into the season with the five that they have with Morahone and with groom and maybe with weathers Kinnear as depth options. And then if something becomes apparent in the first couple months of the season, then you can go after a starter. I, I, I don't think that it's going to be something that like makes or breaks right now, whether or not they're going to be a playoff team. I, I think that we're all cautiously optimistic as Padres fans that they're going to be a playoff team at the trade deadline. And so I, I'd be okay with with holding firm for right now. And personally, I I, well, I value Trent Grisham, I, even though his offensive numbers took a major step back in the last like year and a half. I still think he's a really valuable defensive center fielder who has a lot of offensive talent as well and can become really good if he just finds something again. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be fine with waiting until the trade deadline. Yeah, I too am bullish on what Grisham can provide, at least somewhat offensively this upcoming year. And I, I think that Lozardo is the highest upside arm of those Marlins pitchers, but Lopez is probably the most obtainable. Safest, I mean, yeah. And the safest, right? I mean, yeah. he, he threw 180 innings last year. He can probably come close to that this year. And, and he's probably the safest to eat innings and be a four or five starter and not be injured and, and not be ineffective. Right. But he's got two years of control too. Yeah, he's only two years of control. And the reason that I brought this up is that, again, you, Darvish, Blake Snell are free agents at the end of the year. They're going to need pitching. They're going to need pitching in 2024. And that's why the, the controllable pitching is something that I think they're going to they're going to have to go for. So um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of moving parts in, in constructing a major league team. That is for sure. Uh, we can speculate all we want, uh, but. AJ Preller and his staff do a very good job in building this team. So I'm, I'm comfortable with this team as it is with the top five. And even for, for that matter, with the roster for that matter, but um, I just have a feeling that he's not done. Well, you know, he's not done. You know, he's always exploring options, but I just have a feeling that that something's going to come about and it may be something huge. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And I mean, um, as you said too, like, even though we have Darvish or they have Darvish and Snell coming off the books after this year, it's not like they're just going to roll into 2024 with Joe Musgrove and, you know, Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo as their top three starters. Like they're going to do yeah. something, yes, right? Like, yes. I think that's something else we can count on from AJ Preller. He's always going to do something like he's not yeah. just going to hold firm and just kind of let the chips fall as they may. Like they, they don't have a lot of talent right now in terms of starting pitching in the upper minors, the top prospect, Dylan Lesko hasn't even thrown a professional pitch yet. And so it's, it's something's going to have to happen through free agency or through a trade. And, you know, like we talked about before with next year's free agent class, not very strong in terms of position players or pitchers. I think it might become increasingly likely that it comes via trade and it might be a trade that comes out of left field. Like nobody thought that the Josh Hader deal was going to happen until it was done. So I wouldn't rule out something like that happening in the next year. Yeah, he's he's definitely one to shock the world. That's for sure. Yeah, um, guys, let's let's uh, move on. Uh, let's move to our uh, Padre salary game that I like to play every week with you guys. Um, it's a segment uh, that we're doing uh, where I ramble off two names, and uh, the idea is which of the two players made the most money in their careers uh, in Major League Baseball. So the two players I have right now in front of me are Rich Gossage, Goose Gossage, or Jan Hervis Solarte. Well, 
did Solarte get some like international signing money that's making that worth it? I mean, Gossage played in the 70s and 80s, so yeah, he played payrolls very, very small. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, I mean, I like, say Solarte. No, I mean, Solarte didn't have a very extensive major league career. I'm going to go Gossage. Giants. So we have a split here. Uh, the winner is Rich Goose Gossage, who made $10.10 million in his 22-year career. Jan Hervis Solarte made 8.641 in six major league seasons. There you go. Uh, let's yeah. move on to current Padre, Xander Bogarts, who I added to the list uh, this afternoon. You know, he hasn't played a game for the Padres. Uh, it's a special asterisk addition to this list. Uh, Xander Bogarts or Jim Edmonds? Hmm. So I know Bogarts got like a little contract extension from the Red Sox a couple yeah. years ago that he just opted out of, obviously. Right. Um, I'm not too familiar with Edmonds's like payroll stuff. I mean, I know he started out in Anaheim, California, whatever you want to call the angels. Yeah. And then went to St. Louis and then signed a deal with the Padres and sucked horribly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then went to the the Mets or somebody and tore it up or something afterwards. Edmonds was a, was a mess here in San Diego. Uh, Edmonds played 17 years. Uh, Zen Bogarts is in his ninth year. Well, this will be his 10th year coming up. I don't know. I mean, Xander's he's played a decent amount. Like he's made a reasonable amount of money. I'd probably be inclined to lean Xander. I'm going to go old school. I'll, I'll rock with Jim. Oh, <laughs> Dominic Stone is two for two today. Jim Edmonds made $86.422 million in a 17 year career. Xander Bogarts is sitting at 85.26 million. Yeah, it's really close. It's not a good uh, career. Let's do one more, and then I have a little special guest, a uh, little special, a uh, little special uh, thing for you guys. Uh, let's do Corey Lubke versus Gary Templeton. Well, Lubke played four years in the majors. Gary Templeton played sixteen years. Well, Lubke was good, and then he was hurt for the Padres. Templeton was always like a solid player uh obviously in the aussie smith trade go padres um hmm. i'm not familiar with what lubke's like contract situation was right because i know he was he was hurt for like a few years and i know that like he didn't even pitch for like i think like 2013 14 15 somewhere in like the middle teens like he didn't even pitch and i don't know like i mean he's probably still cashing checks but like i don't know i i I think i mean gary templeton played for what you said 16 years like that's i'd probably lean gary templeton so here's where you're trying to trick me james uh the first two you went with the old school guy so i'm gonna go with the younger (laughs) guy i'm gonna go with Corey lupke here Wow, Dominic, three for three. Oh, yeah. Come on. Corey Lupke, $12.913 million, and Gary Templeton, $10.53, actually $2.5 million less. How did Lupke make the modern era of baseball? The modern era of baseball, right? Yeah. You you just got to capitalize on on a year of arbitration in this modern year and and have some decent numbers, and and you're making some decent money. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, let's let's let's. I know we're running uh, late on time, but I have this fun list that I uh, that I contracted here. Um, this is the total salaries earned in a career by uh, by San Diego Padres players, current or former Padres. But this is someone who's either who's played for the Padres at some point in their career, and their total salary they earned in their whole career. Uh, I have the top twenty here. Do you guys want to go for the top ten? See how many of the top ten you can name. Yeah, okay. so we're we're naming we'll, players who let's, let's played go, at the time. So who, who wants to start off, and we'll see. So we're naming players who played for the Padres and have made the most money for the not, Padres, not just for the Padres, but in their career. They've they've <laughs> had an, they've played for the Padres, but their most amount of career, the most amount of money they made in their career, or their total amount of money they made in their career. Okay, I see where we're going with this. Top ten. Uh, let's we can do top ten. I have, with, I, have, I have it all the way to 20, so. All and I will, tell you, I will tell you that four out of the top 10 are current players. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Dominic, want to start? Yeah, I'll start with Ian Kinsler. Ooh, Ian Kinsler is 13th on the list at 110 million point five one seven. Damn. Uh I'll say you Darvish because I know he's gotten a couple big contracts in his career. Darvish yeah. is seventh at one hundred and forty-two million dollars. I should have went there. Um, how about Craig Kimbrell? Kimbrell. Kimbrell is not in the top twenty. Oh darn! What am I doing? <laughs> I mean, I think I think Manny's a pretty easy one. I think he's middle. Manny is at one forty-two point zero six, just over. Uh, just over Darvish at sixth on the list. Okay. Yeah, I should have went with those two guys. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, let's see, top 10. This is the money that they've earned to this date, too, not just not future earnings, but what they've made to yeah, the yeah. date. Well, because then we'd be Bogarts, Tatis. That, that would be yeah, right. pretty easy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. Tony Gwynn on there? I don't think he would be. Yeah, Tony no. Gwynn, he made about $46 million in his career. Poor guy. Not really, but... <laughs> I wonder how much he would have made, made, like, in today's game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I think... I still think Xander is up there somewhere. I think he's made a decent amount. Bogarts is not in the top 20. He's about 80, 86 million, I think, is what we have. He'll be there shortly. Yeah. You guys got to uh, think... We gonna think hard. Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Was Ricky Henderson on there? I mean, he played for 24 years. Ricky Henderson only made about 45, 50 million dollars in this career. I hate this. Um, how about uh how about Trevor Hoffman? Trevor Hoffman is only about 60 or 70 million, I believe. He's a reliever, so yeah. Those guys didn't make too much money. Well, I thought you guys would nail this. I'd I, I... or Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield might be one. No, uh, Winfield made 20, really. 30 million. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Uh, I'm going to have to edit this out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I control the podcast. Winfield no. only made $27.96 million in this. <laughs> wow. Let's see. Top 10. Let me give you number one on the list. Yeah. Let's hear number one. Number one is a current player, Justin Upton, $200 million he's made in his career. I mean, he signed that massive deal with Atlanta. He did. It's is, just about ending. Yeah. Is is Melvin Upton 
on this list? Melvin Upton is 20th on the list at 88.9. All right. <laughs> so who are, the, who are the other two current players that are in the top 10? Eric Hosmer is ah, actually 12th. I guess he's 135.78. <laughs> uh, and the was the other one. So those are that's he's still currently playing. Uh, I can go through the top 20 current players. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, 93.68. Uh, yeah, he got that big bag from the White Sox a couple of years back. Yeah. New addition, Matt Carpenter, 89.83 is 19th on the list. Okay. Uh, 15th on the list is blows my mind. Ian Kennedy at $99.513 million. Oh, he's had a good run of things. Okay, let me go through the top top ones just real quick since we guys uh, kind of bombed on this. Yeah, oh, uh, thanks. Justin Upton, two hundred and one million is first. Second is Adrian Gonzalez at one hundred and ninety point oh, six million dollars. We should have got that. Number three, Matt Kemp, one hundred and seventy one point seven million dollars. These guys just had their their heyday. The podcast. Yeah. Gary Sheffield, one hundred and sixty eight okay. million dollars. I thought about saying him on the list. Is Fred McGriff on this list? No. No. Fifth on the list, Hall of Famer, Greg Maddox, $153.8 million. Sixth is Manny. Seventh is Darvish. Eighth is Eric Hosmer. Uh, Ninth is Kevin Brown, $130.89 million. You get that massive contract. Yeah. Jake Peavy is 10th, $127.1 million. 11th is Mike Piazza, $120.1 million. These guys barely played for the Padres. Yeah, I know. These are those like little one-year, 2006, 2007 guys. 12th is James Shields, $114.14 million. Uh, Let me see. Rounding out my list, I have Ian Kinsler at 110. Uh, Let's see. Jared Weaver, $99.9 million. Jared Weaver, man. Miguel Tejada, $96.4 million. Oh, no. Is Ryan Ludwig on this list? No. Derek Lee is the last one at $91.487 million. I mean, half those guys are kind of just like, oh, yeah, like he played for the Padres for a year. It took me a while to to remember all these names. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, but, oh yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, those are all recognizable that. names, but yeah, like, right. you don't like. You don't I mean, we should have got, we should have got Upton. Should have, should have got Gonzo. Yeah, I thought you were gonna get Gonzalez, Kemp, Upton. I yeah. thought Maddox and 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 and, and uh, Piazza might 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 be gotten by you guys, but no, that's a tough. One. That's that's, that's tough. A, it, it's an interesting list uh, indeed, and obviously, it's gonna be affected in the next couple of years as these salaries just continue to rise. So yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff, guys. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, a lot of relevant Padre news happening this week. Uh, happy holidays to, to you guys and, and to the fans out there listening. It's definitely an awesome time to be a Padre fan, that's for sure. Yeah, my uh, my thing, I kind of forgot about it until Sammy brought it up. Eric Hosmer, what's he going to be doing? Because I was talking about it with my dad. I mean, he has no value at all. Unless if you, you think you can... Kansas City or somebody's going to... Just... Put no, because Kansas, uh, he cleared waivers because no one wants to. You have to pay his contract. Like he had his contract. It's just that the Padres are going to pay you the money. 
Yeah. That that's what it is. But it yeah, you have to be able to take that. So you would just take them on a league minimum. But there's so many teams that have these young, talented first basemen that they just don't want to play with those guys. And like Kansas City's got Prado, so like they they wouldn't be playing Hosmer yeah. first. And mm-hmm. I, I I my dad and I we were having this conversation. There is a chance that Eric Hosmer just hangs it up and retires. Maybe, maybe like signs a minor league deal with like the Marlins or someone yeah. in Florida. I think he's he can... too proud for that. I don't think yeah, he, I think would he is that. too proud for that. I think he, he's, you know, I, and I could be totally, if he doesn't get a major league deal. I don't see him signing with anyone. Yeah. Honestly, I totally see him being that guy who won't take anything less than a major league guarantee. Like he wants a roster spot, but it's like, I mean, the Red Sox cut him like, and the Red Sox are probably going to be the last Turner one. Right Yeah. I mean like they have Tristan Cosmos too. And they, but yeah, they just signed Justin Turner. It's just like, if, if teams like that don't want him, it, I don't know. Like I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to get a major league job by this. Right. And he, he is tailor-made to be an MLB network analyst. Yeah. He's got the charisma. He's got the swag. He's got the relationships with all the players. Like he would be perfect for that. His yeah. wife does television. For, I think Fox news. Yeah. Uh, so like he'll have tips and tricks for that sort of stuff. He's tailor-made for that. It'd be really funny to see him on MLB network on a like nightly basis this upcoming year, because he's got a great relationship with all you guys while he's still under contract with the Padres. <laughs> <laughs> like would MLB network even pay him? Like, I mean, he's still, he's making 13 million a year. Like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure he'd make his hundred thousand dollars for MLB network or whatever. Yeah. I, uh, mean, I wonder how that works. I wonder if he's just like, you know, he, he gets that direct deposit every two weeks from the San Diego Padres and he's just, you know, loving life. <laughs> sure. Why not? Right. I mean, it's not retirement money for, <laughs> for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I, uh, we let's just let's end on something more positive, Dominic. We need, we need a, the, the Eric Hosmer stuff just still just just gets me. It really does. And and we had members of the media and and players and and I, you know I even heard from people that are in the front office still talking about his player charisma and team leadership this past six months, and it's, it blows my mind when when they're paying him to stay away. So I'm getting a contradiction here, which I'm sure he was a, a veteran player and, and and paid for the rookies dinners and, and did all this stuff. I mean, he's a, what do we say? $135 million made in his career. I'm sure he, he did that stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's move forward instead of backwards. Cause this is for the next three years, we're still going to be talking about the $13 million yeah. you're paying on Hosmer's contract. Cause $13 million right now would be awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but get who's, who's, James, who's paying that contract? Oh yeah, did I say we? You did. Wow. Well, there you go, folks. It's a I, I slipped. I, I shame I shame my writers for saying we all the time when, when yeah. talking about the San Diego Padres, and I, I I jumped into fan mode there. It happens. It happens occasionally. I'm sorry, folks. I am a former season ticket holder. Have been rooting for this team for 46 years. Occasionally, I do jump into fan mode and. I think I did there. So my apologies. <laughs> yeah. It's still, it still pisses me off though. When I think about Eric Hosmer, it, it really does. I'm going to, I'm going to have that on my grave as I told you. So written on that grave. Cause I, I freaking told you so since the very beginning, I got taunted by fans 
because I guaranteed the Padres wouldn't sign him because I had a lot of confidence in AJ Preller. Where are you at now? Yeah, I think it's just everyone like doesn't want to like go back in time and like look at those people. But I mean, it was there are so many people that said that, and you were I mean, the writing right. was on the wall. It really was. I don't I don't know what you expected. You pay ownership a good a good first baseman great money. And, and then he quickly became not good. And you and you gave him the 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 player option. Why didn't we have the player option? <laughs> well, again, <Yeah>. we. <laughs> Eric yeah. Hosmer gets me into the fan the fan mode. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the one thing you can be excited about, you could have been excited about. I think that a lot of people were like myself included. Is like, all right, they're like they're willing to spend now, right? Like, yeah, they're they're showing that they are ready to start spending because before that, like, they had the James Shields contract in 2015, but besides that, they hadn't spent over a hundred million dollars on anybody. And so it was like, all right, like maybe yes. they're, they're oh, that, was, that was exciting. Definitely was yeah. exciting. But I'm just like, you're like a sailor on leave for the first time in, in two months and you're just splurging it everywhere. <laughs> At the time I said, Carlos Santana and Lorenzo Kane were a smarter allocation of money and they proved to be about, and both are contracts ended years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, CJ I mean, Crone would be great is. right now. It is what it is. It is what it is. And you can't, you can't move backwards. You can't. I mean, some people tell me that if Eric Hosmer wasn't here, Manny Machado wouldn't have signed. That may be the case. I don't know. I can't say it, it wasn't. I can't say it was. I don't know. I don't know. Dominic, take us out of here because this Hosmer stuff is just, it's making me turn into the Grinch here on Christmas. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in to episode 161 of the Potters East Village Times podcast. Hoping to come back next week. I was out of town, as was Sammy, this over the course of this past week. So that's why you had a little bit of a longer break in between episodes. But we're staying regimented, which is good. We'll come back after Christmas. If you celebrate, Merry Christmas. If you don't, Happy Holidays. We know there's uh, other religions out there. It's Hanukkah right now, for example. So happy holidays to everyone. Hope you get to spend a lot of time with your family. We thank you all for spending some time listening to us talk about the San Diego Padres. Make sure to find us all on Twitter and make sure to keep checking out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube if that's where you're listening and watching us. Thank you. Uh, also, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple and you haven't followed us or subscribed to us there, please do so as well. That way you don't miss future episodes that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.